0: If you take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 1. Tonight I want to preach a message titled, Hope for Despairing Times. And I believe we're truly living in despairing times. I touched a bit this morning in the message just on the signs of the time and the type of things that we're living through and the type of society that we live in. I spoke about the attack that is on truth today. And we see it all around us. Uh, we talked about that young girl in Brampton this week who, whose father took her own life. And, you know, that, that, to me, that's despairing. And that weighs heavy on my heart thinking about that. Thinking about what's going on in the states with the, their abortion laws being passed in different states and uh, the, the late stage abortions that are being permitted. And you know what? It could be despairing. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I like the news. I like reading and listening to the news, but sometimes I, I just need to put it away. Um, I have to put away social media or at least limit it to communication because I just, I have to put it away. I don't, I don't need to be feeding my mind constantly with it. But some of the atrocities that I've read about around the world, uh, I think about some of the civil world Wars that were happening. I know there are still wars happening in Africa, but some of them back in the nineties. Some of the civil wars uh, with the child soldiers and the drugs that they were giving them, and the cannibalism that was happening—that was practiced—and that that weighs heavy on your heart. And you, you you think about the grip that Satan has on this world and how he's blinded the eyes of them of this world. And we look at this and we say, what kind of do we have hope for these times that we live in? Uh, One of the big things I think about is with Simon getting ready to go to school. And uh, for his first year, we have that figured out and we're going to send him. But it it, it always made me wonder because I grew up, I went to public school uh, from kindergarten to grade twelve. And, you know, I made it through there, and it was okay, it wasn't so bad. And, you know, I had a good foundation, and my parents uh, taught me the things of the Lord, and I was raised in church and things like that. So I had a good foundation. But I still remember the difficulty of being in public school and trying to stand for what was right um, back then. Not that it was that long ago, but even then, I just remember it being difficult. But now I compare it to today, and it, it's amazing the things that have changed and what society has counted as normal. When you think of the LGBTQ agenda and what they're pushing. Uh, there's, uh, there's a law that allows any school where kids go and tell the principal, we want a gay-straight alliance, the school immediately has to allow them to, to, uh, to allow this group. And there's also a law that prevents the principals from telling the parents that your children are involved. So if I sent Simon to public school and some of his friends say, hey, there's a club going on at recess, why don't you come join us? He doesn't know. He can go there. He could be influenced by this group, their agenda, and the principal has no right to tell us that he's there. and We wouldn't have any idea. And that's the type of thing that our young people are facing. Uh, you think about the things that are promoted in the school state. Drinking is promoted. Drugs are, are promoted. You can tell just by the way that it's become legalized, and things of that nature more immorality is promoted. I remember being in school and we had the people come into our assemblies, and we'd have the anti drinking assemblies we'd have the anti drug assemblies we weren't I remember not being allowed to take the lord's name in vain. I remember teachers getting upset at us for that. We were taught things like abstinence in school, but that's all thrown out the window, and they're bringing all this new stuff in you know I believe a lot of the the older Teenagers that are in high school, they're kind of past that, but the things that they're trying to bring down on the foundational level from the kindergartners up, it, it, it scares me that this is the society that we live in and it's despairing. And I feel for our young people, you know, they're fighting and they're needing to stand for things that past generations would have not had to face. They're, they're needing to stand up in hard situations that we could have ever imagined growing up and being in school and being around our peers. And that's the day we live in. Second Timothy 4, verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall, and shall be turned unto fables. And I'm not trying to be a downer tonight and trying to, throw all these things at you because we have hope in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, in these days, we're warned that people will have itching ears and they will turn their ears away from truth and shall be turned unto fables. I think about in high school I and mean, I went to school um, in Kitchener and I remember there was this uh, young girl that was in the same grade as me. Um, we met there in grade 9 because she was from a different school, but she was a Christian girl. I remember having a talent show and she got up in front of the whole school. I went to the school about 2,000 uh, kids and she got up in front of the school with her cousin and they sang his eyes on the sparrow in front of the whole school. Uh, she she took a stand for what was right. I remember being in science class with her one day and uh, her and another girl sat behind me and my friend uh, Tyler and I remember her and I presenting the gospel to these two people that didn't know. They wanted to know what we believed. They knew that we went to church. Just someone that took a stand for what was true. And I came across her on Facebook uh, about a year ago, and uh, I was amazed at how far gone she is from the truth, far gone from God. And today she's married to another woman who has transitioned to a man. And I think of how does someone who has taken a stand, who, who... was witnessing in high school, knew the truth, grew up in that, I knew the type of home she was in. How do you go from there to get to that point that far away from God? And it's the days we're living in and what we're being bombarded with, and we need to take a stand. And the times may be despairing, but we have hope in Jesus Christ and that we can lean upon Him. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So we're in Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at the lives of these young people that we know about in Daniel. We know about Daniel, and we know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to start in verse number 1 and read uh, the first eight verses. And the Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful in all skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a uh, daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And the first thing I want you to notice tonight is the despair. In this time of Daniel and these three young men, we see the despair. First of all, we see that they were taken from their home. We see that um, the king of Babylon went unto Jerusalem and besieged it, took it over. And we see that these young men are taken from their home. They were learned, they were skilled, they were well-trained. Um, they were of noble heritage, so you know that they were brought up well. They had a goodly heritage. Um, they, were, they were trained from a young age. They were already young men at this point, but to be where they were at this point, to be learned and skilled and full of abilities, they would have been trained and educated from a young age, which would only be from a good upbringing, someone of a noble heritage. And that's what they had. And could you imagine being taken from your home as a uh, as a young person? You know, you you'd feel lost and out of place, unsure. You don't know the procedures. You know, think about I think about it even now when you go somewhere, you're not sure. You don't know what the procedures are. Maybe you're going to a government building. You need to get some things done, or you're you're just going somewhere. You're not sure. You don't know what to do. You don't. Everyone. It seems like everyone around you know what's going on, but you don't, and you feel out of place. Well, imagine being taken from your home, your upbringing, your training, your family, and you're taken to a place, and you are you don't even know what's going on, away from your family. You know, even, even as young men, I don't think you're prepared to be taken away from your family, be taken away from your upbringing, your training, your safety, and your comfort zone, and that's what happened to them. And it's a scary thing. I read a book about a year ago of this young Indian boy and... At the age of five, he got lost in India. And if you've ever seen videos and pictures of India, it's a busy place. There's over a billion people. And him and his brother would go to the train station at nighttime and would uh, do different things. And he fell asleep on a train, uh, on a bench. And he woke up and his brother told him, stay put, I'll come back and get you. Well, as a five-year-old boy, you wake up from a nap, he's he's dazed and he's scared and he he thinks that he missed his brother, so he hops on a train to try to go back. And literally, this five-year-old boy gets lost and separated from his family and he never ends up going back home. And he actually ends up, I believe, in Australia or somewhere, at a foster home through a, a long process. But in the end, he ends up, the, the book was about his journey and finding his parents. A five-year-old boy being lost, being separated, the anxiety that was there. And um, he actually learned after years of being separated, he didn't remember the name of his little town correctly. He didn't even remember his own name properly. His name that he had told people for his whole life was actually not even pronounced properly because it's this five-year-old boy. But there's that anxiety of being separated. I remember this having anxiety reading about this young boy and I think about this with these uh, young men here as they're taken away in captivity to this place, away from their home. They're taken from their language. They were in a new place with a new language. They were taught new things. You know, have you ever been somewhere where you're in a different language and you're and you don't you maybe have a guide or something like that? You've gone with family. Um, when I was in college, I went on a mission trip to China. I was there for a month. And uh, one of the things the missionary did as part of our uh, experience there, he sent us out on, uh, I guess the the easiest thing would be to call it a scavenger hunt, but he gave us a paper, and the paper was in part English and part Chinese. And we had to go, and he sent us um, all around on the subway and on buses and things like that. And I remember one point we had gone to a mall, and he said, okay, you're going to buy your lunch, but you have to order. And obviously it's me and two friends, and we don't have any mandarin knowledge at all we don't have any form of communication so he's like you're going to order food from this place bring back the receipt so i know that you you did it well anyways we're coming back from this mall trying to make it back to the subway station and we got on the wrong bus and we were showing them the paper that had part chinese saying we're trying to get here and they're trying to explain to us in mandarin that we are on the wrong bus Well, the louder you talk in the wrong language doesn't make the other person understand. So we're talking louder, and they're talking louder trying to help us, and we finally, through our hand motions, were able to tell us we need to go on the other side, and they're going to find a bus stop there. And luckily we got back. Okay, it wasn't... Thinking about it now, it kind of scares me a little bit, thinking that we did that. But back then it was like, okay, this is cool, let's do this. But I remember being there and being like, we could be lost in China. Like, this isn't being lost in Toronto where you go and ask someone for directions. Like, <laughs> that's a little different situation. But they're in this place taken away from their language, in a new place, out of place. And they're being taught new things. So for, their, for uh, these young men and what they were taught, their science that would be, would be extended chiefly to music... It would be things like architecture, natural history, agriculture, morals, theology, things of war. That would be what they were taught. But when they came here and they learned of the Chaldeans, they were supposed to learn the language. They were supposed to learn to read. And the purpose was to instruct them in the sciences that were understood by them. And their sciences were distinguished chiefly for such sciences as astronomy, astrology, magic, things of that nature. So it was totally opposite to what they were taught um, as children of Israel. And it was different to what they were taught. And, and their whole mindset were different in this place. And that's what they were going into. And they were being taught these things. They were taken away from their food. And you, you think about that, that's just something comforting. You're leaving a different place, and now you're given all this strange thing, and that just adds to it, and they're given the special diet. They had their names taken away from them. So all these things that they had were just stripped from them. Things that would seem normal were taken from them. We see that Daniel's um, name he was was given Belteshazzar. Daniel meant God is my judge, but his new name means Bel protect his life. Hananiah's name meant Jehovah is gracious, But it became Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael meant who is like God, became Meshach, which means who is like Aku. Azariah meant Jehovah is my helper, and he became Abednego, which means the servant of Nago. So they got all these new names, which gave homage to the gods of this uh, nation that they're held captive by. So you look at this and you... You say these people are in despair. They're in a, they're in a strange place. They're in a society that's backwards to what they're taught, different to what they've been, uh, brought up in. And they're in a place of discomfort, a place where they'd be scared, a place of despair. But we also see the dedication that these young men had. We see it with Daniel and we read it in verse number eight. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Here is Daniel. He's young. He's away from his home. So he doesn't have any of his family around. He doesn't have any of his um, family authority there. And essentially, he's... um, Essentially, he's being challenged to violate God's law. And when you look at that and you look at this recipe, it's a recipe for disaster. A young person away from their home being challenged to do wrong. But we see the dedication of Daniel. And despite the circumstances that Daniel's facing and being pushed to conform to them, we see that Daniel purposed in his heart to do what was right, no matter the cost. And even though he's in a strange place, away from his home, away from his authority, he would have to stand up and speak out in order to uh, let them know that he was not going to do this. And you know I think about that and I'm the last person that will, will stand up and try to get things out of place. I'm, I just like to roll with the punches. This is what you do, okay, let's do it. I remember when I was a kid, we, I used to go to the dentist. And I was, I was really shy as a kid. I would, I would be scared to say yes or no or to just, to change people's mind. That wasn't my intention. To tell people to do otherwise. So I remember as a kid going to the dentist. And the dentists would I'd say I was going to get my teeth pulled. And I remember the specific time the dentist has that little stuff they rub on their gums before they give you the shot. And they say, I'm gonna rub this on there and it's gonna make your gums tingly. Let me know if your gums feel tingly. Well, I'm the type of kid that's just going to say yes. I didn't know what it meant to feel tingly. So he put it on. Does it feel tingly? Yes. Because I'm not the kid that says, no, it doesn't feel tingly, put some more on. So I just said, yeah. So I was the kid that felt the shots because I wasn't going to be the one to say, no, it doesn't feel tingly because I don't know what that means to feel tingly. I didn't want to go through all that. That's the type of person I am. But here Daniel is in this strange place being told by his cat... Uh, captors, this is what you need to eat. And he stood and said, I am not going to be defiled by your food. Despite the circumstances, he stood up. He refused to compromise his convictions by refusing to eat the king's meat or drink his wine. And we'll see later on that even under persecution, he continued to pray under persecution. Daniel put God first. God granted Daniel favor in the sight of others for doing that. We see that in uh, verse number nine. It says, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. We need to put God first in our lives. We see that Daniel, he pre- prayed three times daily, depending upon God. We see that when he prayed, he gave thanks in the midst of persecution. Which means that he's here in captivity, taken away from his family in a strange place, being taught things that are opposite to what he was brought up in. And you know what he did? He got on his knees and he thanked God. He gave thanks to God. Even though he was in a place of despair, even though he was a place of persecution, he thanked God because he wasn't forgetting the blessings that God had given him. You know, imagine being in captivity. That I don't think that would be a natural instinct for us to say, thank you God for... Being where I am, but he found uh, the he he still gave gratitude to God because he knew that God so had His hands a blessing upon his life. And we see that Dave, Daniel purposed in his heart, and we need to be a people of purpose. You know, have you ever met someone that has no purpose in their life? And you're like, just what are you doing? You know, I've had some people like that in my life, people that I went to school with, and every time I talk to them, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, why don't you just get a grip? That's, that's our reaction when you meet someone that has no purpose. They're doing nothing with their life. And you're like, get a grip. Get a taste of reality and do something. Get off, off your seat and do something. Get a job or whatever it is. Just do something. Have purpose in life. Live for something. But how many of us live without a purpose for God? You know, many Christians live their life without purpose for the things of Christ. And we go on day to day doing our own thing, but without a purpose for God. And we need people of purpose today. People that are going to seek God first. People that are going to say, I'm living my life for Christ, despite the circumstances that are before me. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, Consider the circumstances that Daniel was under when he decided to seek God first. Where he was, no authority, and he still said, I'm going to seek God no matter the circumstances in my life. You know, no matter how young or how old we may be, it's never too early or too late to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. We see the dedication here in the life of Daniel. Next we see the determination. The determination. They, Daniel, we know, had, had this dedication in this life. And we see the determination. In Daniel 6.10, uh, where it's talking about uh, this decree that was made. You know, people were seeing Daniel and the promotions that he was getting, and he was climbing the ladder in the government, and he had favor in the sight of the leaders. And those around him were seeing this, and they were upset. And they they said, you know what, we're going to find something, and we're going to trip him up. We're going to find where he's lying. We're going to find out where he's doing wrong. We're going to find out where he's a fake. And they examined his life. They looked at his life, and all they could say was, man, this guy prays three times a day. That was the only accusation that they had against him. So you know what they said? They went and told the lion, had this king sign a decree that says, if you're caught praying, that you're going to be thrown to the lions. They made this decree. And Daniel's aware of this decree. And let me ask you, if you were convicted of being a Christian, would they have the evidence to convict you today? If they sought every way to find, you know, they sought every way to find fault in him, and they could find none. Their only complaint was that he was a pure man that he had no fault in him. You know, would that be our conviction today? If someone went before a a court and said, I want you to press charges on him because he is pure. He's done nothing wrong. I can find no fault in him. He is a Christian. And I see that in his life every day. There's no other place to find fault in us. And we see that with Daniel. Literally, that that was what they had to work with. And Daniel hears this decree and yet still he doesn't alter his schedule in the least. But we see that he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and prayed three times a day as he always did. He was determined. He wasn't going to let a decree, he wasn't going to let the penalty of being thrown in the den of lions stop him from putting God first in his life. He was determined. We see the determination with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. We see it in Daniel 3. Um as Nebuchadnezzar constructs uh, this giant statue of him. In uh, Daniel 3, verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he sets up this image of gold of him and he's expecting all those to bow down. He was going to command them to worship. And once again, we see an accusation against these children of Israel saying, they're not bowing down to this image. They're doing right to their God. That was their accusation against these young men. There was a demonstration of faith that we see with these young men. Daniel 3 verse 12 says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these before the king. So we see the king, he goes into a rage, and he immediately calls for them. And he questions them. And look at verse 16 and 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They were determined to take a stand for what was right. They didn't care about the, um, the threat of being thrown into a fiery furnace. They said, you know what? Our God is able to save us from that furnace. But even if he doesn't, to God be the glory because we're not going to bow down and serve your gods. They were determined to stand up for what was, what was right. They were not afraid to respond to the king. They weren't afraid to speak against him. They, were, they refused to compromise. And they believed that God would deliver them. But they still had the peace that if he didn't, and if God saw fit in His sovereignty, that they still wouldn't compromise. They were determined the stand of world was right. You know, think about that. You're you're in this place of captivity, and you found favor, and you're trying to. You're in a strange place, and you finally find your place, and you're finding favor, and you're climbing that ladder, and you're getting position, and you're and you're feeling more comfortable. And then this happens, and we see that the king gathered all the leaders, there was princes, there was governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces. So all these big wigs are there, and they say, you know what? We're still gonna take a stand. We're not gonna bow down to that God. You know, imagine in your life standing before everyone important. You've already found favor, maybe it's at work, you're climbing that ladder. You know, are you gonna take a stand? We need people today who will be determined to take a stand. And in the world that we live in, this time of despair, we need to take a stand. We need young people who are going to take a stand just like these young people did in captivity. So we see the determination and lastly we see the deliverance. We're going to jump back to Daniel here. And what was happening with him in his prayer in Daniel 6 Verse 16. The Bible says, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lion? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the, the lion's mouth's that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee. O king, have I done no hurt? Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Daniel had hope in God, in this time of despair, in this time where he was taking the stand, he was able to do it because his hope in God, and even the king had hope that Daniel's true God would deliver him. You know how much does your God give hope to those around you? Is God so real to your, in your life? Is your hope in God so real in your life that it gives others hope around you, or are you dragging others into despair around you, looking at your life and saying, "Well"? The answer is not in Christianity either. But Daniel's hope is so great that we see the hope in the king as well. There was the deliverance with Daniel. We see that hope in a despairing time. But we see the deliverance with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. And where we left off, and they were determined to take a stand, and they refused and said, We will not bow down before that image. And we see the king furious again over their refusal. Daniel 3 verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and the form of his visage visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was want to be heated, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind shadrach meshach and abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace then these men were bound in their coats their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace so we see the king furious at this point his visage changed. he he was at a place where he's like okay i really like you guys so i'm going to give you a second chance And when they turned that down, that set him off. And he was furious at this point. And at this point, he's scared that they are taking a stand to him. They're saying, man, they're believing in their God that he's going to be able to deliver them. So what does he do? He pumps up the fire. He gets the strongest men in his army to throw them into the fire because of their stand that they have taken. Verse number 22, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the mightiest men of the army. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up into the haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They took a stand for God, and they were delivered. The king is astonished at what he sees. He sees these Men that were bound, loosed in the fire, walking around, and the fire's not hurting them. Even the mighty men that threw them in are consumed by the fire. But he sees not three men, but four men walking around, and the fourth man is like the Son of God. Amen? And he acknowledges God's intervention. God had delivered them. And the only thing that was burned in the furnace were the ropes that had them bound. And the king here acknowledges God's power and authority. And there's a change in the king's words and his decree that they might serve God and he only. What a stand that they took. They were willing to die for the cause of Christ. But we see the deliverance of God, the hope that they had in him. They had hope whether that God would save them or not. They had hope in God. They were willing to die. You know, I think in our lives, and we talk about, uh, the despairing time that we live in, and you know, it saddens our hearts to look around. But the persecution that we face today is not near what is being faced in these times, or even around the world today. Do we draw the line where we won't stand? You know, as Christians today, we'll say, "Well, you know, I'm going to take a stand for what is right." But if it came down to this, I probably won't. If it came to me being thrown in jail, I'll probably give in and not take a stand. There was no line for these men here. They didn't draw a line. They said, I will not serve any other gods. I will take a stand for my God. I think about the missionary that Pastor mentioned uh, last week. Um, I, that's where I, I spent the month. And he was willing to go to jail for preaching the gospel in China. And I remember him telling me that story of how he was kicked out, and the, the man, the... the the police officer that had kicked him out of the country and things like that. But he was willing to go to jail. And you know what he did? He said when he was in jail, just like Paul and Silas, he's saying in jail because he said, I might not have this opportunity again. But he had that hope in Christ. And talking, to him, he told me that story about being kicked out and returning in faith and seeing the hope of Christ. There was no line drawn for him. He was willing to take a stand for what was right. And they were willing to take a stand because they had hope. And we see that the fourth man, Christ, was right there with them like the Son of God. And we look at this life, we look at the despair all around us, the things that worry us, that concern us. It hurts our hearts and we think we need to take a stand. And maybe that scares us, but we need to remember that Jesus Christ is walking right there with us through the fire. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ, He's there with us. John 16:33 says these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world Hebrews 4:15 says for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin we have a duty in these despairing times to take a stand for what was right. Well, we can do it knowing we have hope in Jesus Christ today. Knowing that He walked through it when He was here on this earth and that He walks with us today and He has overcome the world. And we look at these men, these young men, and oftentimes we don't give young people enough credit, but they were the ones willing to do what was right in disparity. They were willing to stand for truth. They were determined. They were going to dedicate themselves to God and seek Him first. Are we willing to do that today in our lives? Are we willing to seek God in our life today? Are we willing to stand? Are we willing to walk into that fire and say, God, whether you deliver me or not, I'm not going to bow down to what the world is telling me to do. I'm not going to bow down to others, but I'm going to stand for truth. We need to seek God today and we can have hope in these despairing times that we're living in today. Let's pray.